Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's new study, What Does Spirituality Mean to Us?, reveals how spirituality informs our understanding of ourselves and each other and inspires us to take action for the common good. Explore these findings and more at spiritualitystudy.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with Joanna Macy and Anita Barrows. They have created a wonderful new translation of Rainer Maria Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet. And there is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Well, I wish I were sitting in a room with the two of you. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are. And um, so, can I see see you? No, you can't see me. You're just going to hear me. I'm going to be like, I'm like the voice of God coming straight (laughs) into your thoughts. (laughs) And you into mine. (laughs) I'm not even going to look at my screen. I'm going to look at the redwood tree in front of my house. That's a good idea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I I love this is a little hard to get used to, but I mean, I sometimes close my eyes so I can uh-huh. completely listen. Mm. Um and it's such a joy um to be with the two of you and I can't really tell you how excited I was when I heard <laughs> that you were translating letters to a young poet, which um I think somewhere well, I I you know, I I feel like this book has um as much as any time, it's, it's, you know, it's been part of my life for such a long time since I think, Joanna, one thing you and I have in common is those, the early years we spent in Berlin and, 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 and or in Germany. And, you mm-hmm. know, I was, and we were both there in, in chapters of its 20th century tumult, which was kind of a fault line of the world's 20th century tumult. Um, and so, and I do feel like it's a book that has really just, if you know, as much as any time in my lifetime, kind of met its moment, and you know, about a century after it was published. So, I just I have my book with me. I I think um, the two of you have your your books with you, and I really just want us to kind of talk about this book and read to each other and um i i would like to start with um i don't know like i i actually cannot remember when i first discovered uh rilke or letters to a young poet mm-hmm. but it's been a friend to me for such a long time and i have in mean, that story of of the friendship of this book is very real to me so i thought i might start with the two of you um each, just asking each of you um, that, that if you can kind of start to tell the story of how this book, if you can remember when it entered your life, but but how it has been a friend to you. Well, Anita can answer that far better than I, because Rilke entered my life through his poetry. Mm-hmm. I remember that moment, and it was the Stundenbuch, the yeah. uh, Book of Hours. Book of Hours. So. But you told me, tell me, like, tell us again, Anita, how it was. Wasn't it one of the first things you saw? 
It was the very first book of Rilke's that I read, and I was 16. I had gone mm. to a camp um, in Maine. I grew up in a house without books or music or, or intellectual discussion. Um, my parents grew up in immigrant families, and my parents themselves were not educated people. Um, but I went to a camp in Maine the summer I was 16, and I made friends with a girl who had spent much of her life in France and had recently immigrated with her parents. Her parents were German, um, German Jews. Um, they had actually hidden in France. And then after the war, my friend Marion was her name, was born. Um, and I was fascinated by their family and her father was a poet and he owned an art gallery. And at a certain point, I, I would go in from Long Island and visit their family. And I was really in love with her parents. I, even more than I wanted to be friends with Marion, <laughs> I wanted to be friends with her parents. I had, I was uh, like that when I was younger oh too. Oh God, yeah. they were amazing. And yeah. at one point her father said to me, if you are going to be a poet, you need to read Rilke, um, because Rilke is the poet's poet. And so he handed me an edition. It was the um, Herder Norton translation. Um, yeah, which is just until now is still my favorite. Yes, exactly. It's been <laughs> yeah. my favorite until yeah. until ours. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he handed me that, and I went home and devoured it. And I thought, okay, Rilke is writing to Kapus, but he's also writing to me. Yeah. And it was it was very, very intimate and wonderful. Yeah. You know, I was just amazed recently. I'm not sure I knew this or had ever taken it in to read. Well, you it's in your book too, but I had read it recently somewhere else that um Rilke himself was only 27 when he yes. applied to these letters. That's right. And I did not take that in at all when I read it. I assumed he was an elderly man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, you well, know. He, <clears throat> he never gone. got to be elderly. Right. No. Right. No. There seems to me, you know, something that I have identified with, um, in the last in the last period that wasn't there for me when Rilke entered my life, which was in the last couple of decades of the last century, is that he was a turn-of-century person, um, just as we have become turn-of-century people. Um, and I have wondered if... I mean, there, it feels like there's something in the heft of um, what he said and how he said it that that he also, in 1903, when he was writing those letters, was on the cusp of this unimaginable tumult and carnage and transformation of that last century. Yes. You know, uh, in the uh, Book of Hours, which he, we're not talking about, but he then just a couple of years younger than when he is writing to the military cadet in his letters to this young mm -hmm. poet. He said, the leaf is turning like a century is entering hmm. just at that moment at the becoming of the 20th century. 
and you could feel his dip. Uh, what would you say? His uh, awe and mm. uh, a troubled sense. Yeah. What yeah. is in store and the fates that are turning this page to the 20th century look at each other and say nothing. Yes. And he senses he could have known nothing about the two world wars, the death camps, yeah. the nuclear bombs. Yeah. The terror, none of it. And yet he sensed that to his core. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much. And he was very aware of the dangers of industrialization, which were already beginning to have their effect, certainly on on Europe, um, and I think that was that was a piece of it. That that um, there was an uh, an ominous sense of what was happening to the natural world, which he loved. Mm-hmm. And all of that, everything that you two have just mentioned. Um, is 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 with us still and again, right? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And that's that's what I kind of um, I feel uh, emanating from these pages, from these words. Hmm. It, it does seem to me, um, I have to say, in the last week, just in the last week, um, I have had his language of living living his language of living the questions has become absolutely central to my work and to my life um and just in the last week for example i've had it quoted at me by a neuroscientist <laughs> and by a television actor <laughs> and and so it and it does feel to me like if there is in it so let's just let's let's maybe start um with living the questions um i think I, let me just read that passage um very particularly uh that experience of living um, of, of standing before great personal and civilizational questions which which right now have no answers um, right. <laughs> so he so he said um, I in this which letter was this this was letter four it's the fourth yeah yeah I ask you dear sir to have patience with all that is unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves like closed rooms, like, like books written in a foreign language. Don't try to find the answers now. They cannot be given anyway because you would not be able to live them for everything is to be lived. Live the questions now. Perhaps you then may gradually, without noticing, one day in the future, live into the answers. What a wonderful way to relate to uncertainty. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. 
And yes, we want, and I think, you know, so much, um, especially in our um, very consumer-oriented society um, where we're looking for answers all the time. We're looking for solutions, yes. rapid solutions, immediate yes. solutions. Um, here, here we are being told to live into the questions, to, to be able then to say, I don't know. I have to sit mm -hmm. with this. I have to be with it. It's a practice that we're not taught by anything in our society. But it's the only way to be in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Because when we want to know, oh, where's this heading? Are we heading to war? Are we heading to, can I have it now? Shall I be, can't I have hope? All of those things, even the question of hope, takes you out of the present moment. And the present moment mm -hmm. is the only place you're really present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only place where you can actually choose. Mm -hmm. Right, right. We're so attached to the outcomes of our actions or to yes. the supposed outcomes of our actions, because how can we know? Um, and and we're always sort of trying to um, hedge our bets. Well, if I do this, then that will happen. Um, but yes, as you say, Joanna, we we really don't know. We just have to make our choices from this moment to the next moment and the next. Well, that is yeah. Go ahead. No, go on, Joanna. Well, that is just the one thing. If you were to boil down what the uh, teachings of the Lord Buddha are, it would be, be in this present moment. This is the only time you can wake up. This is the only time you can make a decision. And the practices are always to be, try to be in right now. And there's no room for blame then. There's room, no room for accusations. There's no room in, for self-pity. Oh, mm. Let us be mm. delivered from that. <laughs> yeah, at, <clears throat> at such an elemental level, culturally we're 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 fixated on and even trained to um to look to always be reaching right for fixes and solutions and answers and strategies I mean, there's something right. so deeply countercultural about just those first words of have patience with all that is unresolved mm, mm, <laughs> just that mm, alone mhm mm mhm mm exactly exactly I know. I tell that to my psychology graduate students all the time um, because they keep wanting to know if something they say to one of their patients is the right thing. Mm -hmm. And, and um, <laughs> my answer is always, we don't know. We don't know yet. Mm -hmm. We just have to do what, what feels at the moment to be the necessary thing and then see what happens after that. Mm -hmm. You know, I have actually um, 
I have actually really taken this teaching as a life practice. I don't think I've ever, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on, mm-hmm. on the air. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a principle of my work, but, but I also have, you know, across these years, and it's, it has been almost 40 years now since I, since I met Rilke, um, of, you know, he talks about holding the questions, loving the questions, and of, I've taken it as a life practice with a question to actually very actively do that. Um, put the question before me, hold it, uh, treasure it, nurture it, walk with it. Um, and I have found uh, that, that if you are faithful to a question like this, it, it will be faithful back, right? It will do this thing that he says, which is, is that you... You live your way mm, in, into, into whatever the form um, an answer takes. Yes. Then it comes toward you. Yeah. Then it has more to say to you. Yes. Then <laughs> you can hear it. And it, mm. uh, yes. Then you have a capacity. You are with the question in a way that invites you to become something that you haven't been yet. Right. Mm, mm. It asks it, it extends a hand. So mm. this is what uh, I have been feeling even more in this uh, last year or so with all the work with Rilke's feeling in him, this sense of opening to the reciprocity of life. Mm. Hmm. It's a living world. We can listen to it. We can open to it. It's not a machine that we poke and press and push right. a button. <laughs> or get it. It's a mystery, and we make the mystery, and then it talks. Hmm. Mm. Mm. And that sense of reciprocity is so important to Rilke. He writes about it in a number of poems in the Book of Hours, but he speaks in a very early poem, um, the earliest actually, he speaks about things, and things come toward me to meet and to be met. And there's a sense of our, our response and the response of whatever it is that's meeting and being met to us, by us, um, building something together. There's a co-construction. Well, uh, I don't want to shift the topic but um, from questions, but this reciprocity, he speaks in, this, in these letters of what it means both for sex, sexual relationships, and then through them what uh, we discover and can discover about being our gender. Uh, yes. Yeah, that, that, and how we could explore being and support each other and how we're gendered without uh, being burdened by uh, sexual stereotypes or performance. Yeah, you know, I did. I did think we would get to that later, but let's go there. <laughs> um, but I do want to say, if either one of you feels like 
reading from the book or from from the poems, just please do that. Um, yeah, I mean, Joanna, I would say, so Living the Questions is perhaps the part of the book that I... I feel I've I've watched people just I've watched people culturally discover so many people discover or have it be part of their life. I have also always felt and never more than recently that that the things that Rilke said about gender a hundred years ago in this book that 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 our world has met him there now. Uh or almost. <laughs> I, don't, I think I think that we still have a lot to learn. I think he's a little bit uh, beyond us at the moment. But, <laughs> well, but. well, let me just like there's well there's the, there's one part in also in that fourth letter where he says um, perhaps the genders are more closely related than people think. Mm-hmm. The great renewal of the world will perhaps consist in this: that male and female, freed from all. False feelings and disinclinations do not seek each other as objects, but rather as siblings and neighbors to become human together, simply, seriously, and patiently helping each other bear the burden that sexuality has placed on them. <laughs> but then, <laughs> well, it's well, it, it to me, it's a description of, of yeah, where we are, as you say, fitfully, imperfectly, but I think heading as a culture. Um, but then, of course, there's the extraordinary part in um, in the the letter from Rome, letter seven, where he talks about the girl and the woman. I don't know. Does one of you want to read some yes, of that? Sure. Uh, page fifty nine is fifty nine sixty is where I'm looking. Fifty nine sixty. Yes. Oh uh, yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. Or maybe yeah. One day, the girl and the woman who don't define themselves. There's more. Just whatever, whatever you'd like to read, as much as you'd like to read there. Um, let's see. I'm looking for exactly. Oh, here we go. Um, well, I'll start. I'll start at the beginning of that paragraph. Um, we are only beginning now to consider the relationship between one person and another without bias or prejudice. Our attempts to live such a connection have no model. Yet in the flow of time, there are some things that will help us faint-hearted beginners. The girl and the woman in their own fresh unfolding will only temporarily imitate masculine behavior, be it seen as bad or good, and assume masculine occupations. Once the inappropriateness of such a stage has revealed itself, it will be clear that women have only gone through a change of clothing in order to cleanse their own being of the influence of the other gender. Women who know a more immediate, fruitful, and trustful relation to life must, after all, have become more humane than men who have not gone through the hardship of giving birth and who, rash and arrogant, undervalue what they mean to love. All this pulled down below the surface of life in pain and oppression, pulled out of humanity, the humanity of the woman who, when she will have rid herself of the conventions of limited femininity and the changes of her external circumstances, will be struck and surprised when she steps out in public one day, and already we see clear signs in northern countries, one day the girl and the woman who don't define themselves in masculine terms, but as something in themselves, female humans, will require no other completion. 
And then the, it's wonderful. And then the following paragraph, which I think really carries it so much farther. This enormous shift will transform the character of love, which is hampered today by the resistance of men and generate a relationship from human to human, not from man to woman. And this more human love, endlessly considerate and light and good and clear, consummated by holding close and letting go, will resemble that love that we so arduously prepare, the love that consists of two solitudes that protect, border, and greet each other. Uh, yeah, I love that passage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, two solitudes that protect, border, and greet each other. <laughs> yes, so it's not the not the merging, not the the um, convention bound ways of acting. Um, and I I love that Rilke speaks. I mean, you know, I could see where it could be critiqued, um, but I love that he speaks at the beginning of that paragraph about the ways in which women need to be careful of not just stepping into the patriarchal system, the patriarchal values, um, which, which, you know, has happened, you know, to a large degree. We've had the feminist movement, um, but, but in many ways we have not yet brought the feminine sufficiently into our culture. And the feminine, I think about Joanna's and my very good friend, Susan Griffin, in her book, Women in Nature, where she speaks about the feminine being what has been suppressed um, in nature, in our ideas about the irrational, um, you know, in many other domains of, of our, you know, political, social sphere. Um, and I think Rilke, you know, <laughs> Rilke was, was talking about this so early on at the beginning of the last century. He was, a, uh, he was also concerned that what was the, in the freeing of coming to experience, being free to experience one's sexuality, I had, it was in where the steps were being made forward to do that. Uh, it was uh, male sexuality. Remember in that early, mm -hmm. I think it was the, yeah, f third, the, f the third letter where uh, he uh, was, and it made me remember so much of what, uh, how f sexual freedom uh, in our country and even sexual fulfillment has come to be uh, identified with uh, what uh, he calls here the uh, lust and thrust and restlessness of the... Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> the, yeah. I don't think that was in the Herder Norton translation. No. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. We had a good time translating that. <laughs> and what we're talking about is the feminine potential, is the is a feminine aspect to humanity, right? Yes, exactly. It's not exactly. just about women. It's about right. 
it's about a fullness of human nature and human capacities. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And yes, and really bringing that into focus and into its full um, being, um, mm. which is very different from, from um, women being given permission to enter the patriarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is... Um... It is such a good description of, and I think this probably spoke to me in my 20s, you know, in the 1980s, which was very much, you know, I was one of those first generations after the women's movement. Um, But I think, you know, it's a caricature. It wasn't true in every moment, but certainly there was an aspect of, you know, women were free to act like men, right? right to get right. ahead exactly. like men. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so in some fundamental way, things didn't change the way they might have changed. Mm. Yeah. I'm just curious. And Joanna, you've lived just such a long time. You're so amazing. Um, I wonder how you see... You know, again, well, so we should we should clarify that, you know, Franz Kapos was writing to Rilke as this lovesick young person. Right. (laughs) So he was bringing sexuality into these letters. But um, but Rilke did always reply to that in. Well, he replied in a very tender, personal way, but also in the whole context of of relationships of, of gender, really. And. Is it, has it been, I just think that here we are in this moment where we are um, understanding the, the fluidity, the true nature of this thing that has been so much of a, that certainly a hundred years ago was so much of a box and a container and compartment. Joanne, I'm especially curious about how you've watched um, well, I'm remembering, this evolution. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking of the love uh, between Rilke and Lou, Lou Andreas Salome. Uh, he was, when he was 21 and she was 35 and they met, and it was just a totally powerful uh, experience that outgrew the sexual part, at least from her point of view, but they were stayed best friends. Um, uh, and the... She took him. Uh, he was a dandy. He was, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, she took him walking barefoot, barefoot through the fields at dawn, in, in uh, the uh, kinds of the foothills of the alpine meadows along the Isar near where we used to live, and I that he adapted so quickly to this uh, natural singing of the earth itself in his bones. Mm. And he combined it also with the simplicity of the sort of the Russian peasant that he acquired when he went with her to Russia and the uh, singing the earth uh, became, he could feel that. What a shift from in his late teens and 20, 21, becoming such a uh, dandy and Hmm. to let himself 
open to the natural world so widely, Mm. so fully, Mm. and let that shift what love of man and woman or love for anything uh, felt like was the freedom in that. And then even what that could mean for uh, politics, for before uh, war and peace, the uh, there was a fun- foundational liberation that happened to him when he met her, and she herself said, "What was that quote, Anita? That uh, it was life transforming. It was like the kind of love that." between brother and sister before incest was a crime. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. That yeah. there was this uh, fullness. And they, uh, the tenderness and freedom of that never uh, left them, even, uh, even though they had some disappointments, and but still that strong. And that gave him a trust in life that I sense in some in him in his mm-hmm. words in his poetry life comes toward him to meet and be met it's, it rings in his lines it, it, uh, and it reaches me and standing here a hundred and what <laughs> not that long, almost but, but almost still, 120 yeah yeah, yeah. when yeah. we don't we cannot be sure or even have the trust that complex life forms will endure or beyond the next few decades we're seeing a huge shattering of life itself and and yet, having been with Rilke, his trust in life is still with me. Mm-hmm. And so I trust being with life, even though uh, life, the web of life might crumble, but then I'm still with it. I'll mm-hmm. be with it anyway, even in the crumbling. It's, there is, the song is so deep in him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I that sense, you know, I think about Jung um, naming the animus and the anima and the ways in which um, Rilke's speaking about gender um, can be looked at through that lens that there's a kind of um, infusion of, of the animus with the anima that needs to happen if we're going to have a different relationship. Can, to, can you just can you explain that a, a little bit? Yeah. So the animus in in Jungian terms is, um, you know, sort of gen, he, Jungian speaks in very gendered terms. So the animus is the male 
spirit, um, the logical, left-brained, um, structured, solution-oriented approach um, that we think of in our culture as traditionally male, but, you know, doesn't have to be. And right. the, it's pretty rigid, <laughs> yeah. Pretty rigid. Uh-huh. And the anima is, is um, the feminine, which is more right brain, feeling, diffuse, intuitive, um, a different kind of knowing. And, um, you know, we know in, in um, you know, the process of anybody becoming a full human being, you've got to have both. You've got to be yeah. able to integrate yeah. both. Um, yeah. You can't really function um, without an animus, but you also don't do very well in this world relationally unless you have um, some capacity to to to. F- feel in that mm-hmm. more diffuse way. And so I think Rilke's ideas about gender, um, again, you know, Jung was was um, quite a bit later than Rilke. Yeah. Um, and well, not much. Not much, but, no. but yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the, he, Jung was writing in, you know, 20s, 30s. Um, yeah, not much. Yeah, but, yeah. but they're they're it's about uh-huh. it's not really about gender ultimately, is it? It's mm-hmm. about human wholeness. That's right. Exactly. And that to, exactly. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that because uh to gender it uh is does a terrible disservice, especially mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So something that um I mean, that passage that you read actually moves into the part about love that consists of two solitudes, protecting, bordering, and greeting each other. And, um, you know, let's talk about solitude uh, for Rilke, which was also so defining, so permeated um, his poetry, his life, his writing. It's so interesting to be speaking about solitude right now in the post-2020 world where civilizationally um, we went through uh, almost the global we, although with huge variation in, in terms of the experience, but of of social isolation, right? Um, and which I think... In some mm-hmm. ways, this experience forced um, a, a, a realization, or or forced, um, you know, to me, it 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 revealed the poverty with which we have known how to tell the difference in this culture between aloneness and loneliness and solitude, mm. um, and. I wonder, I'm curious about this world that we move into um, beyond that, at least, you know, the parts of the world that are emerging from the worst of the pandemic. Do we, do people start to reckon or or work with or play with solitude in a new way? And what would Rilke have to say um, to that? Well, then, I'm so struck by how uh, members even of my own family, my own children, my own grandchildren, how the pandemic and the 
uh, lockdowns and the Mm -hmm. care of uh, has resulted for so many of them of um, more time out of doors in the natural world in direct contact, even if it's when it's their backyard uh, or walking in the park or when, you know, it was, and the, um, and giving them a habit of this that they do not want to give up. Mm-hmm. And that the uh, solitude becomes, as it was for Rilke, uh, not uh, being by yourself, but by being in, with, surrounded by and of the living natural world. That you're surrounded by these uh, the rustle and touch and reach and murmur of the natural world. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was really something Joanna and I discussed throughout the process of doing this translation because there are moments in the letters where Rilke seems to idealize solitude um, at the cost of community, at the cost yeah. of some belonging to the collective. And and we were at moments irritated by that because... Yes. Because he, he also seems to emphasize it at the cost of probably being a good partner to exactly. the woman. Exactly. Oh, my with. God, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So, go on. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, we, you know, we kind of got fed off with it at moments. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we but, worried about... If, uh-huh. if the young cadet were to take him seriously, you know, you have to be, if you're forbidden to write poetry, you're forbidden to write, then, uh, then you're not, a, uh, you, be, you must be ready to die for your life. Right, 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 right. And then and- be as sheer conformity that would mm-hmm. make you want to uh, yeah. enjoy the company and laughter and <laughs> of your <laughs> of your friends right so where did you where did you come out did you did you see a healthy side to his to his love of solitude or his <laughs> his reverence really for mm-hmm. solitude mm-hmm. well we thought well, it was life-saving for him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've we've felt so uh tender for him about the way he, both parents uh, how they robbed him of what he could be and how their curiosity of who he was was drowned in their wanting him to be like a military, little militant or to be a little girl. You mm-hmm. know, how he was dressed as a girl till he was six because his older sister, I mean, was preceded by a child who died early, a little girl. And so... He was given a name like hers and dressed as a girl till he was six, then put into a, not long after that, into a military academy. So, of course, he would need to be by himself to figure out who he is. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and I think also what you said a little while ago, Joanna, about how in solitude it's possible to have a more 
sort of I-thou relationship with the natural world than when we're cluttered by by all of the things of 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 culture around us. Yeah, I think that that um, is a really important thing to come through this pandemic here with and and um, to be able to distinguish between solitude and isolation. Which, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To to be to be at home within oneself, um, as not as something not to flee. I mean, you know, here this is um. And I'm going to read a little bit from this is page fifty six. This is from letter seven. You know, I have to say this is a passage that was so important to me in my twenties, um, and really life giving. I mean, this is to me a a, a robust. Um, definition of solitude that is about yeah about about defend making and defending that home within oneself so he Mm -hmm. says um um don't let your solitude obscure the presence of something within it that wants to emerge precisely this presence will help your solitude expand people are drawn to the easy and to the easiest side of the easy but it is clear that we must hold ourselves to the difficult, as it is true for everything alive. Everything in nature grows and defend its, defends itself in its own way and against all opposition, straining from within at a, and at any price to become distinctively itself. It is good to be solitary because solitude is difficult, and that a thing is difficult must be even more of a reason for us to undertake it and then he says, to love is good too, for love is difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For one person to care for another, that is perhaps the most difficult thing required of us, the utmost and final test, the work for which all other work is but a preparation. With our whole being, with all the strength we have gathered, we must learn to love. This learning is ever a committed and enduring process. So he's always even as he is defending solitude so fiercely, and as you say, sometimes extremely, it always moves back and forth with the notion of loving. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And he really emphasizes the need to love from that place of solitude, that love is not about merging, um, but it's about being oneself fully and from that place of fullness. Yes, I love that. The other, yes, yes. Yeah, right here he says, uh, for uh, love is not about merging. It's a noble calling for the individual to ripen, to Mm -hmm. differentiate, to become a world in oneself in response Mm -hmm. to another. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. It's so interesting. You know, I remember being so moved by that and and it being so helpful to me in those in those young years when I was <laughs> you know, tempted I mean, you know, cuz he's really saying to to Franz Kappas to his young correspondent like become yourself. Yes. Before you join with another human being. Um and but I say I say also that language after my marriage ended, after my divorce, I read it again and realized how wise it was. Right? I mean, it's it's incredible wisdom. Um, yes, yes, exactly, 
exactly. I know I felt the same after my divorce, and I thought, all right, you know, the the love I have for my children, the love I have for my friends, that love also needs to come from that place of wholeness. Mm-hmm. The two solitudes saluting each other. Mm-hmm. Joanna, I'm curious about that phrase for you and that notion. <laughs> well, I just, what I was sitting here, it was remembering when, um, because our first conversation was shortly after uh, my husband died after a yes. marriage of yes. uh, 56 years. And I remember uh, about a year before we married uh, his I'd been talking away, talking away as he was driving. And and then he just looked at me and he said, what a world you've got inside you. Mm -hmm. And then I knew that it was my own world and he could tell it that he didn't want to own it. He didn't want it to be explained, but he was so glad it was there. All of that was in his voice and was, Mm -hmm. and that stayed uh, with me throughout all those uh, five and a half decades of, uh, yeah, a world in myself and, and being a, a, da- a stranger to each other to some extent. Mm-hmm. We always affirmed that. Mm-hmm. And Rilke helps us there. Yes. Yeah, there's there's a way our culture rushes, or I think even the, the romantic idea of love we have would rush to say, oh, no, you don't have to remain strangers, right? Mm-hmm. But in exactly. fact, it's the reality, as you're saying, Joanna, yeah. it is the truth. It is the deep truth. It's, the, it's a mystery. And then it can be a delight. You know, uh, we had a mutual friend who was a preacher in Harlem. And when we told him we were engaged, we had taken him to an Italian restaurant in Greenwich Village, and we, with a candle in an old Chianti bottle, just, you know, you can picture it, (laughs) and we said, "Uh, Herb, we're going to get married. And he said, Cherubs, I have a prayer for you. And the prayer is this. May you always see each other as a stranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a blessing mm-hmm. because that meant there was so much of him that I didn't know. It made him intriguing, and I knew mm-hmm. that was true. I couldn't own him because I didn't know him fully. Even when in an old bathrobe walking into the kitchen, I could look at him and say, hmm, who's that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you, in your memoir, Joanna, you, you, you wrote about your long marriage and it was... It was an adventure, right? And it and it had it had it had hard parts, and it had it had parts in which that, which which the the way the fact of of being strangers was was defining. Um, yeah. It, uh, and yet, you kept finding your way back to each other. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. It was always interesting. 
<laughs> Always interesting. <laughs> yeah, never finished. Mm. Never finished. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of growing and seeing with expectations and not knowing, uh, did you catch the part in these um, when uh, he talks about you can you haven't lost God because you know the cadet Franz was was a complainer. You could tell that, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so. He, he complained that he'd lost God. And so, <laughs> because in, he believed in God as a child, and now he didn't anymore. And then he even complained about that. And so, <laughs> remember? He, the, and I yeah. just, just said, and he has this great idea. He's, that, he says, just think, where, where do I have that? Oh, I think oh. it's page 51. Yeah. It's about building God. Yeah, 50, yeah. 51. Yeah, please, yeah. Re- please uh-huh. read that. And yeah. I'm curious also what um, what was the language? I mean, what was the German word, and what was how was that translated previously? The building God idea. Do you know? Do you remember? Oh, do you remember Joanna Bauen? Um, was it Bauen? I think mm-hmm. probably Bauen. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's more likely Bauen than Schaffen. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I think we might say Schaffen to, to create, but right, yes, but right. it's more like uh, because he has uh, a poem in the Book of Hours that he'd already written, where we're uh, building almost like it's little blocks. Yes, we're building yes. God, building him up, and that was he'd already yeah. written that. But yeah. uh, I just it tickles me. <laughs> Do you want to read? Would you like to read? read yeah, he says, um, right here, he says, uh, let me see. Um, Do you think that anyone who was, who, anyone who really has him, God, could lose him like a little stone? <laughs> Don't you think that one who holds him, God, could only be lost by him. But if you realize that he was not in your childhood and not anywhere before, if you suspect, wait, I don't want to read that. Um, <laughs> but he says, why not think, rather, that he is the one who is coming, moving toward us from all eternity, the final fruit of a tree whose leaves we are. What stops you from projecting God's birth into times to come and from living your life like a painful and beautiful day in the story of an immense pregnancy? Mm. Don't you see how everything that happens is ever again a new beginning? And couldn't it be his beginning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For to begin in itself is already so beautiful. If God is the fulfillment, must not what is lesser come before him so that he can emerge from fullness and overflow? Must he not come last in order to include everything in himself? 
And what meaning could we find if God for whom we yearn belongs to the past? Mm-hmm. And then that next sentence, as bees gather honey, so do we reap the sweetness from everything and build God. Yes. <laughs> yes. So Joanna, wonderful. talk to me about what, what, tell me what's in that for you. Just, just. <laughs> oh, oh, so much. So much. Uh, I'm, uh, it's inside me. I'm 92 now. I am uh, in this 10th decade of my life when I follow with rapt attention what is happening with the climate catastrophe and with the mass extinctions of uh, our siblings in the creation of this world and I feel that uh, there is within me a sense that's read through Rilke the translations and also very much through the work that I have been blessed enough to do called the work that reconnects and that has starts the spiral journey that it is with gratitude so much gratitude uh, that um, I what's in it is that uh, we are never abandoned. Uh, there is something for us to uh, behold and be part of, and that uh, and to be there. The great moment is there for us to. Uh, be present to this incredible moment. I feel so grateful for that. And as a matter of fact, as I have been heard to say, I think that in, I imagine that in Buddha fields elsewhere in this universe, people are lining up to take birth on earth now because this is the time of such fulfillment. We've got to realize, we will realize that we belong to each other. That's coming forward now. How could we not harvest that understanding in this moment? Our f- mm. At least it's, uh, I sense it. Mm. Yes. I think also about what we were talking about before, that sense of reciprocity between ourselves and the world. Rilke also emphasizes, certainly in that passage, but also in some of the poems of the Book of Hours, the reciprocity between ourselves and God, that Mm -hmm. that we, as creation, are necessary to God. What will you do, God, when I die? Um, without me, what house where intimate words await you? I, velvet sandal that falls from your foot. I, cloak dropping from your shoulder. And and also in the ninth Duino elegy, which we translated, um, where Rilke says, I don't have it in front of me, but he says, perhaps we are here to speak. And then he names a number of things. Um, and... We're here to speak the world, that we have 
we have a sacred responsibility which is intimately involved with our relationship to God as we build God, as we respond to nature. This is work that we're doing together. You know, um, it's been one of the most interesting things for me um, about having this conversation I've been having since the turn of the century about these questions of meaning and humanity and um, spiritual inquiry and expansively understood, deeply understood, and how the language of God, I feel, has been re-emerging. And, you know, Joanna, if somebody had, you know, let's say just tuned in in the last 10 minutes and listened to you speak about God, <laughs> they would not guess that you are an eminent Buddhist teacher, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious, and 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 Anita, you've I mean you've done so many things, and you've had a, a you know a, a a complex spiritual life as 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 21st century people do. Um, what is that language of God? You know what what does that what does that mean for you? How do we how do we talk about what that is and how that itself has been evolving? Mm, mm. Because God has become a word. Uh, for everything. Um, so we reach for something uh, that uh, includes everything. I'm looking at in, in his um, letter that he wrote. He wrote an amazing letter Rilke did from Sweden. And he starts out saying, I've been thinking. He's not responding so much to uh, the cadet, but he's speaking about... If you could take in, there's something going to happen. It is enormous. It is huge. And is, uh, we must accept our reality and all its immensity. Mm. So you mm. need God language for that if you're in the West. And then, of course, I was born into a theistic a Christian tradition. So mm -hmm. it's in... And I come from a long line of teachers, so it's it's in my yeah. bones. Yeah. <laughs> we must accept our reality in all its immensity. Hmm. Everything, even the unheard of, must be possible within it. Yeah. This yeah. is, in the end, the only courage required of us. The courage to meet what is strangest and most awesome. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. We have no that. reason, he says, to distrust our world. For it is not against us. If our world has fears, there are fears. If it has an abyss, it belongs to us. If dangers appear, we must try to love them. Yeah. Mm, mm. And if we will live, yes, he goes on. But he's, they, they, he is capturing in that letter from, what was that, in 03, I think, or 04. Yes. But, very, yeah, August 04. A lot of what I'm uh, feeling now, that this yes. is, I'm so grateful that yes. to be, I feel one, much closer to, uh, uh, this, there's this feeling of mutual belonging. Uh, among people is because we're standing near a cliff 
a cliff edge. Yes. And I think also there's a passage a little bit um, above the one that you just read, Joanna, um, where Rilke says, but only someone who is open to everything, who excludes nothing, even the least explainable, will experience a living connection to others and will from that create their own authentic existence. As, as I think about what God means to me, I'm looking at a, a passage and I wish I knew what prayer it was from. It's a Hebrew prayer. I was, mm. I was raised, um, I was the granddaughter of, of two rabbis and I was raised very much in the Jewish tradition and, and um, complex religious history converted to Christianity in my 30s, Catholicism and, and, and um, then a lot of Buddhist practice. But there's a passage I have hanging over my desk that is in the Hebrew, Hine Makom it which can be translated as, you have a place with me here. You have a place with me here. Mm. And, and, you know, to me, that is the meaning of God. It's our interbelonging. It's our belonging in the world. It's each being's sense of belonging. And, and I think very, very much Rilke points to that in these letters. Mm. That's beautiful, Anita. It, God is our interbeing. Yes. As yes. Sigmar Han would say himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And so you know, whatever happens, whatever happens, uh, we can be uh, saying thanks to life together. Because we've been we've learned to take in the beauty and to love it. Mm-hmm. And it's why should we insist that it lasts forever? Well, I don't I don't want it now because it's not forever. Mm-hmm. How ridiculous! Mm-hmm. Joanna, I I was watching. Um, uh, an, another interview you did recently, and um, you were talking. Just we we really have circled back. I feel appropriately to um, to Rilke somehow foreshadowing the experience we have at the beginning of a very tumultuous century. Um, the the catastrophes and the terrors of the twentieth century were. Were 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 un were, were you know could not be exceeded, and yet there's a way in which our potential, our catastrophes and terrors are potentially are, have existential right final existential um, heft. You were talking about um, you know I'm curious you know you've you've talked about this as a time in which we are faced with the great unraveling or the great turning, or perhaps both of those at the same time. Um, and, and, and just, you know, when you and I spoke, um, it's, it, it is yet again a different age, right? There, there, is, a, there is a drama, and um, there's a catharsis now. There's a sense of that now, um, even a few years later. So, yeah, I'm just wondering where... Uh, you, were, you were talking to somebody Krista? about... Krista? Um, 
Yes. Sorry, mm-hmm. Elena here. I'm just going to pop in. My recording stopped, so I just want to pause you real quick so I okay. can save this and we can do a new one. Hang okay. on one second. Okay. So we have we have circled back around to Rilke as our companion in um, standing at this very momentous point in a young century, our own young, our own century whose tumult has revealed itself fully. Um, so let's just uh, in our last few minutes kind of reflect on on Rilke, yeah, as our friend, how he walks alongside us. And mm-hmm. Joanna, I was, um, when you and I spoke before, I mean, you've been speaking for a long time about the juncture we stand at as a species, um, the great unraveling or the great turning mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. towards a more life-giving society, and, and perhaps both of those things happening at once. And I'm just curious about I heard you speaking about the laws of evolution and positive disintegration mm-hmm. um, yeah just with this conversation holding us um, with Rilke by our side um, what do you yeah. see right now yeah well it is clear it seems clear that uh, we who are alive now are here for something and witnessing something for our planet that has not happened at any time before. There has not been in the history of planet Earth a moment like this. And from the perspective of science, and daytime mind, reasonable thinking. We're facing a danger and a that involves a collapse of the economic order that is basic to our civilization. And unless a very different mode of behavior arises, wholesale, extinction. And so we who are alive now and who are called to, who feel called, those of us who feel called to love our world, to love our world has been at the core of every faith tradition, to be grateful for it to teach ourselves how to see beauty, how to treasure it, how to celebrate, how, if it must disappear, if there's dying, how to be grateful. Every funeral, every memorial service is one where you Give thanks for the beauty of that life or the quality of what. And so there's a need some of us feel, I know I do, to what is 
looks like it must disappear to say, thanks, you are beautiful. Mm. Thank you, mountains. Thank you, rivers. Thank you, orangutans. I mention orangutans because I have a painting of a mother and child mm. of the orangutans in Sumatra. There are only 100 or 120 left with her child. She looks painted as, as on a medieval saint frame on, with egg tempera and, and gilt on the wooden because it's holy, we suddenly see that this whole thing has been holy. And how, we're learning how do you say goodbye to what is sacred and holy. And that goodbye has got to be, has got to be in deep thanksgiving for having been here, for being part of it. Maybe, maybe there'll be such, it'll be so holy that we'll get a chance to live on. Maybe it'll affect our behavior. Maybe it will mean that we will change the way we use things. Maybe it can, there's time, you know, there's still time. We have a few years left. But though if that seems unlikely, it doesn't change what you can feel in yourself. You just want to get down on your knees that you had a chance to see this earth and she has let you have a chance to be with her in her last hours. We're that lucky hmm. to be with her when she's then with our mama. I couldn't be with my mother when she died. She had Parkinson's and we were in and she was in a hospital and I wasn't with her. But we're with our mother now. I'm so grateful for that. I really am. I, I kind of sound like I'm crying. And I do cry, but I cry from gladness, you know. Hmm. Hmm. I'm so glad to recognize each other. You look, you look and look in each other's face. See how beautiful we are. It's not too late to see that. We don't want to die not knowing how beautiful this is. You know, when I think about um, Rilke and the, and the ways he brings together solitude and love, I feel like you also have always brought together what I would, I would think of as synonyms or companions to those, like um, interior life and aliveness, right? You've, I've heard you talk about the voice within and that if people can hear the voice within, they hear that the voice within wants to live. And when people can share that voice within... They, they fall in love with the world. They fall in love with each other. They fall in love all over again with life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, and so to me, what that points at is what you're saying is 
is being present to ourselves and the world, but also that that the more we do that, we can also be present to each other. We there's we've become such strangers, right? Yes. We were talking about stra- beloved the beloved strangers earlier, but strangers to the people with whom we share our communities and our neighborhoods and our our world. Yes, that's so much the case. I think, you know, that's so much what this last year has has done to us. And I think we need to recommit ourselves to community. I, I have known all too many people who are saying, oh, it's fine to do our work on Zoom. It's fine to stay at home. It's fine to order all our things in so that we don't have to go out and and be in the world anymore. And that worries me tremendously. That to me is not solitude, but but um, a sort of breakdown of of the mm, collective, right. which which you know separation separation yeah. exactly. exactly. And Nita, you have um, you have spoken about your calling as a as a, a psychologist and a teacher, and also as a as a translator and writer as. Um, standing at the intersection of the sacred, the daily, and a holding of the pain of the world. So I, I just kind of want to ask you the question I asked Joanna a minute ago, kind of how, what do you see looking out right now? And again, with Rilke as, as our friend standing alongside <laughs> us at that yeah. intersection. Yes, that's wonderful. Um, I think about the passage that I referred to before from the Ninth Do We Know Elegy, where Rilke really speaks about what he sees as our mission as human beings. Um, Perhaps we are here to say, and then he names things about the world. Do you have it, Joanna? (laughs) Do you have it right? Reachable. Yes. Um, And so for me... Um, should we wait a minute while Joanna gets well, Why don't you go ahead and speak about okay, it, and then Joanna yeah. can read it when she right. finds it. Wonderful, wonderful. So for me, um, I actually just had a book of poems published called Testimony, which is um, 20 long poems and a coda. And each of the poems um, speaks about some of the suffering of the world. You know, I speak about... A prisoner. I speak about a child in Syria. I speak about um, a checkpoint in in the West Bank, occupied Palestine. Um, speaks about the suffering of the world, and then I move in other sections of the poems to the beauty of the world. And for me, that intersection of suffering and beauty, um, gratitude, as Joanna says. Um, feels like my mission in poetry and mm. and um, to state that, to name that, to be here, to name those things feels essential to me. Um, and and I see Rilke as my friend in that. This conversation is so wonderful because it's really bringing me back to to the origins of my reading. Rilke, who really was the first serious poet whose work I I read when I was first feeling my own vocation as a poet, um, that he was so engaged with 
this as our mission. Perhaps we are here to say, and if you have the passage, Joanna. Yes, I have it. And I remember when we translated that together. This is the uh, ending of the ninth Duino elegy. An elegy is a incantation or poem uh, at the end, a funeral. Earth, isn't this what you want? To arise in us invisible? Is it not your dream to enter us so wholly there's nothing left outside us to see? What, if not transformation, is your deepest purpose? Earth, my love, I want that too. Believe me, no more of your springtimes are needed to win me over. Even one flower is more than enough. Before I was named, I belonged to you. I seek no other law than yours and know I can trust the death you will bring. See, I live. On what? Childhood and future are equally present. Sheer abundance of being floods my heart. Oh, Thank you, Rilke. Yes, thank you, Rilke. Thank you. Thank you for accompanying us. Thank you for Mm. being with us. Mm, I have my hands on my heart. (laughs) I I think that's probably, I think that's probably a beautiful ending. I, um, Joanne, I heard you saying to somebody um, that you had a feeling now. That as as hard as things are and as dire as things are, you do sense that we are beginning to wake up, but you can't try to look for it everywhere. (laughs) 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 Would you explain that that advice? What did you say? (laughs) You said to somebody... We're beginning to wake up. You said you you look around and you see the beginning of awakening. Oh, I do. But you can't look for it everywhere. You can't try to see it everywhere. You have to see it where it is. Yeah, yeah. Let's not be silly. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Let's be realistic. Mm -hmm. Let's see that uh, there is... uh, we are building God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I do see it very much. I feel so privileged to teach young people, graduate students in their 20s and 30s, and, and to be in clinical work with, with young people. I see so much commitment in the young people. I see Mm -hmm. so much um, determination, you know, and they are the ones who are going to have to carry this. Um, And, and I, I draw a lot of nourishment and encouragement from Mm -hmm. them. So I, I wonder, I really do feel like we, we have been on a journey and we've traversed this incredible terrain and we've pointed at that immensity. Um, 
I, I want to ask if, if there's any, and we've, we've read, you know, a lot from the book and, and from some of, of, of Rilke's poetry, but is there anything that either of you would still like to read or, or, or speak to that we didn't get to? Well, I could go on for a couple of weeks, you know. <laughs> of course, of course. But I, I somehow think that uh, I'm satisfied for uh, yeah. this day and this hour and, and just this incredible gratitude for this lovely book and for Shambhala Publishers for bringing it out with such yeah. charm and, and the... That it is something you can put in your pocket. Yeah. 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 And I love, Krista, that, um, you know, Joanna and I um, met over the weekend and we marked a bunch of passages. And mm -hmm. the ones that we marked that we didn't read were the ones that you read. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it wasn't, um, I just, I, I, I've known this, I know this book so well, and it was so wonderful to go to the passages that have just mm. been mm. with me for such mm -hmm. a long time and mm -hmm. read them and recognize them. They were familiar and yet, and yet fresh. Yes. So what yes. a beautiful offering. Mm. Mm. So Anita, I think we want you to read that one. Yes. Um, can you all remind us, that was the... Um, it was on page 56, I believe. Is about... that the long reading, Chris? Yes. The, the... Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't 56. It was um, about women... 59? Maybe 59. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. was, yeah, uh, yeah. 50, 59, 60. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. And maybe I should start a little... Further up where you started, one day the girl and the woman, um, instead of reading that whole long thing, you think? Um, I'll, you I'll, know, I'll skip around a little. Or, okay, okay. Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. All right. Or maybe I can do the whole thing and you can edit it out. Shall I do it now? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. We are only beginning now to consider the relationship between one person and another without bias or prejudice. Our attempts to live such a connection have no model. Yet in the flow of time, there are some things that will help us faint-hearted beginners. The girl and the woman in their own fresh unfolding will only temporarily imitate masculine behavior, be it seen as bad or good, and assume masculine occupations. Once the inappropriateness of such a stage has revealed itself, it will be clear that women have only gone through a change of clothing in order to cleanse their own being of the influence of the other gender. Women who know a more immediate, fruitful, and trustful relation to life must, after all, have become more humane than men who have not gone through the hardship of giving birth and who, rash and arrogant, undervalue what they mean to love. All this pulled down below the surface of life in pain and oppression, pulled out of humanity, the humanity of the woman who, when she will have rid herself of the conventions of limited femininity and the changes of her external circumstances, will be struck and surprised when she steps out in public one day. 
One day the girl and the woman who don't define themselves in masculine terms, but as something in themselves, female humans, will require no other completion. This enormous shift will transform the character of love, which is hampered today by the resistance of men, and generate a relationship from human to human, not from man to woman. And this more human love, endlessly considerate and light and good and clear, consummated by holding close and letting go, will resemble that love that we so arduously prepare, the love that consists of two solitudes that protect, border, and greet each other. That was lovely. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the two of you, and it just feels so oh. wonderful to have this reunion and have <laughs> us all together. And I cannot really tell you how many people I've given your Rilke translations to across oh. the years, oh. including my colleagues and my children. And I just <laughs> sent, it just I just remembered, I just sent... Um, the Book of Hours, Love Poems to God, to uh, someone who's become my friend on death row in Texas. Oh, um, oh. You're, you're, and, 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 and as the best of translations, you know, I, I've, I, I, I first read Rilke in German and I, I don't really, I have I never, until I read your translations, I didn't think he was, tra- that, that, language that is his mm. alone no one else spoke or were, I don't think has ever spoken or written German in that way that lush gorgeousness mm. and and I think you are the only translators who who have have been worthy of that and uh, so that's my my personal deep gratitude to you <laughs> oh Krista that is very so sweet to hear this. <laughs> I happen to agree And I do think it's because we do it together and it makes such a difference. We do it and it's infused with the love we have for each other. Yes. And and with all of that, with all of that energy. (laughs) You also, you know, the thing about the the translations of him is he was just so inventive with the language and, and, and trying to translate it more literally just mm, always sounded mm. so tortured and yes. false. And yes. somehow the two of you have been inventive in your translation in a way that was true mm. to the beauty and the playfulness mm. and the depth of mm. of the original German. Mm. Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> Again, because we've done it together, we could yeah. be playful and bold yeah. and daring. And, and also yeah. because we... Um, um, thanks to you and um, Denise Levertov, uh, we we dropped trying to bring the um, rhyme and meter. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So there was a and it keeps yeah. his kind of searching, uh, yes, tentative mm-hmm. feeling to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm also just so. Just so glad of of all of your your presence in the world and um, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for doing this. Oh, yeah. thank you so much, Krista. It was sheer pleasure. It was wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> bless you. I, 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, Bless, really. Blessings to you. I, ho- I uh, hope perhaps, perhaps we meet again in the flesh. Oh, I hope so. I hope um, so. Yeah. 